When Americans in London get together, as we are this evening at the annual town hall meeting of American citizens abroad, we often have a cathartic conversation about how misunderstood we are in both our host and home countries. So for this Tanager talk, I am delighted to have the opportunity to speak with Dr. Amanda Klikowski von Koppenfels, who, as the director of the master's program in international migration at the University of Kent in Brussels, has conducted extensive research and analysis about overseas Americans and can shed some light on some of these common misconceptions. Amanda, I'd like to begin by asking you how and why you chose Americans as the focus of your study of migration. Is it fair to say that when most people talk about migrants, they're not thinking about Americans? So first of all, thank you so much for, for having me. It's a real pleasure to be speaking with you uh, today. Um, I've been studying migration for about 20 years now. Um, and I started off by studying what were more classic topics. I studied ethnic German migration from former Soviet Union and Eastern Europe to Germany. Um, when I was working at the International Organization for Migration, I did some work on human trafficking. Um, I, so I've done a, a wide range of, of different types of, of, of study of migration. And it was probably, I think it was, it was about 10 years ago, I was at an event not unlike this evening's event. Uh, and I suddenly looked around at this group of Americans around me, and we were from all these different countries, and we were exactly talking about issues that concerned us as Americans living outside of the United States. And I just started studying something called, called transnationalism, which is when migrants are engaged in either politics or the culture or the society of their home country. Um, and this is something that's often looked at with, with concern by, by host countries, that their migrants are, are not settling in the way they're supposed, supposed to, in quotes. They're not integrating you know, sort of appropriately. They're still involved in their, in their home countries. Here in the UK, uh, now very, very much uh, dismissed and, and not seen at all as, as sort of uh, correct, uh, there was talk of the, the cricket test. Uh, when a British person of Pakistani origin was at a, at a cricket match, would he be rooting for the Pakistani team or for the English or British team? Um, and so this is something that, that there's a, a real sort of, it is, it is an issue in the study of migration. And I looked around at these Americans who were very much engaged in their transnational activities, and I thought, this is something we haven't studied yet. And so that's how I got into it, uh, was by myself being, I've been outside of the United States now for 19 years. Um, and that's something that as a migration scholar, as myself an American living overseas, uh, eventually I put my own um, participant observation, if you want to call it that, uh, with my academic study and put that together. Fantastic. And that's how it started. Let's, let's talk about this. Are we, um, what, what are we? Uh, are, are we migrants? Are we overseas Americans? Are we expats? And, and what are those titles and categories? No, and that's exactly the right question to be asking because, and that's um, the, the title of my book is called Migrants or Expatriates, question, and with a question mark. Um, and that is exactly where, uh, once I sort of had this realization that we really were acting like migrants, I said, well, are we? Let's let's look into this. And so that's what the the, the book that I've done, and now I've done some uh, some uh, research beyond that, really looked at this question of are we migrants? And I set out to examine some of the questions that we often ask about migrants. One of them is identity. Uh, one of them is what are we called? 
so migrants, expats, uh, expatriates, um, all these questions. Um, integration, why we move. I looked into all of these different kinds of questions. Why it is that Americans are here, why it is, and all of these questions. And on almost all of them, you know, sort of put a little tick in the box and say, yes, overseas Americans are migrants. Uh, the Americans uh, move for unexpected reasons, not always. In fact, it it's, turns out to be a minority of people who are moving for two and three year expatriate assignments with American companies. Uh, the majority move because they found a partner they want to be with. Um, that is the number one reason for people to be, for Americans to be living outside of the United States. They've either met a partner and want to stay with the partner, or they moved overseas for a short time and ended up meeting someone and, and staying. Um, and so there are a number of, of uh, when we look at a number of criteria, we can say Americans are, are migrants. Now, in terms of how Americans are seen by the host countries we're living in, it's interesting. Um, sometimes Americans are not quite migrants, but why is that? Um, is it something that has to do with the country of origin? Is it something to do has to do with socioeconomic status? Is it something that has to do with skin color? Um, with difference in, as Elspeth Gog put it, difference uh, in power between the country we're living in and the, and the United States. Mm -hmm. That's one reason when I started doing my research, I wanted to look at the UK, France, and Germany, which are three countries that in terms of placement on the world stage are more or less on a par with, with the United States. Um, and so this is not reverse, this is not sort of neocolonialism, this is not South or north-south migration. This is really north-north migration. Um, and so this idea of Americans living overseas, and it turns out Americans overseas really is the self-identification uh, that people most often have. Uh, not Perhaps not migrants, uh, perhaps not British or, or French or German. Um, there's an in-between category, a hybrid category. Um, and that's actually, I think, is something that's far more common for most other uh, international migrants as well. Um, there, Americans are, it just happens to be the group I studied, um, but this hybrid identity um, and in-between identity is something that I think is very, very common. Um, in terms of, of people not thinking of, of Americans when they think of migrants, I think that is um, often the case, and that's something we also need to address, um, because that addresses deeper issues of socioeconomic status and, again, racial inequalities. Um, and if we can think of Americans as migrants, uh, then we need also need to question why we have that hesitation. We globally as people have that hesitation about doing so. Uh, and that was another one of the sort of questions I set out to to puzzle with. That's really that's really interesting. Um, you've re referred a, a little bit to this already, but can you tell us about some of the key findings from your research? So, who leaves the U.S. and why? And then, who ends up staying overseas? And why? No, it's uh, that was one of the things that uh, that really surprised me. I, as, as I said, it was about ten years ago that I first really started starting to look at, at Americans, and I did a just a little study in Brussels, where where I live and where I've lived for fifteen years, um, and I was expecting that Americans moved for work. I was expecting that they worked, came to live uh, and work in Europe for a couple of years as this. You know, they expatriate assignment. They were sent overseas for two or three or five years, and some were. And that was where I had my first surprise that it was for marriage, for partnership. People the power had, of love. <laughs> can't be underestimated. Uh, absolutely cannot be underestimated. Um, the it is in the UK the largest group, the lar the nationality that has the largest number of rejections uh, for the marriage visa are, are U.S. citizens. 
Um, and so this is something that in terms of being treated just like migrants, I <clears throat> forgot my passport as I got on the train uh, coming from Brussels to London today. So I had a mad oh, dash in a taxi back home and back to the train station and was the last person on the train to come join you this evening because I am a third country national uh, and uh, UK is not in the Schengen area and I need my passport to come here. Um, and so that is is a, a reminder of, of the... Uh, the laws that apply apply to all of us. So why people move, turns out they've met someone, um, is, is a majority, uh, not a majority, it is the largest reason, it's a plurality. Why people stay. Uh, there, I always thought I had a unique story. I came to do research for my PhD. I extended uh, my stay. I had a re grant renewal. And then a month before I was supposed to go home, I met this man. Well, I've been married to him for 15 years now, and I always thought this was his special story. It turns out it's not special at all. Uh, and so I've, I've dubbed this the accidental migrant. Um, others have said that there's nothing quite as permanent as a temporary migrant. Um, if you look at post-war post uh, guest worker migration uh, to continental Europe, uh, those were people who were supposed to come for two or three years and are still there today, and their children and grandchildren, of course, as well, uh, supposed to both from their own perspective as well as from the hosting country. Turns out Americans are no different. Um, that we come for a year, two years, three years, um, and that was 25 years ago. Yeah. Uh, people say that reasons they stay or stay are good quality of life. They have a good job. Their families are here. Uh, they have settled in. This has become home. Amanda, in your most recent research into Americans abroad who are giving up their U.S. citizenship in record numbers. You show that the reasons for renunciation also fly in the face of co common perception. And it's not just rich Americans who want to get out of paying tax. So who is giving up their citizenship and why? And what were some of the most memorable cases? No, thanks for that question, because it is something that's a lot of uh, misperception out there about. Um, in my most recent research, which uh, interviewed, surveyed about 1,400 uh, 1, uh, U.S. citizens um, and about 140 former U.S. citizens, um, among the U.S. citizens, uh, the annual household income for about half of them was under $100,000 a year. Um, and among those 1,400 Americans, about 30% have said that they're thinking, maybe, they, or they have thought about giving up their passport. Um, so if half of them have an income under 100000 uh, and about a third are thinking of, of giving it up, obviously there's not necessarily um, a direct correlation there, and I haven't, I haven't run that, that cross. I don't have that figure with me right now. Um, but it's not just the rich. Um, it's something, it's much more about a question of feeling that people are unfairly and unduly being targeted by the U.S. government. Um, and this is something um, that really resonates, again, as I mentioned earlier, this field of transnationalism, the study um, of migrants and their relationship with their with their host country, with their home country, sorry, uh, with their home country, um, that usually it's a positive relationship. Um, what can the home country uh, either give to the uh, people overseas and what do they get in return? And there's a lot of emphasis on how a diaspora, how a population overseas can contribute to the home country, either through money that they send home um, or skills they bring back. Um, and this is simply not a relationship that the United States government really 
develops with, with its overseas population. Absolutely. U.S. citizens overseas, if they are able to help a U.S. embassy, the U.S. embassy will, will be very grateful for that help in, in many different ways. Um, but it is not a relationship um, that, is, that is actually uh, proactively developed. And many overseas Americans, from my research, really do feel that they're being targeted in a negative way um, by, by the U.S. government. Um, and so that's something um, that when they find that because they're U.S. citizens, they can't open a bank account, when they find that they're a U.S. citizen, that they have difficulty getting a mortgage and have to take one with a higher, a higher interest rate, um, when they find um, that they have no place to invest for retirement because they can't get an investment account uh, in the country they live in, and because they have no U.S. address, they can't get an investment account in the United States, um, all of these are, as they say, middle class uh, normal middle class activities. These are not activities that are restricted to the rich. Um, and so that's something that, um, above all, it's this feeling of targeting um, that, that has really come out strongly in my research. Um, two cases that, that I would just mention, a man um, in the UK who told me he was earning about 10,000 pounds a year uh, found a tax preparer um, who was going to prepare the taxes for 1,000 pounds a year. So a tenth of the salary was going to go to prepare taxes to tell the US government that he owed no taxes in the United States. Uh, and so he, with, with great distress, renounced, saying, I'm going to be in the UK for the rest of my life. I simply can't afford to have US taxes prepared. It had nothing to do with the taxes that were owed. Uh, and a woman in Canada um, who thought she had lost her US passport when she became a Canadian citizen in the 80s, only to find out that she actually still is a US citizen, um, and now um, not having filed taxes, not having reported on any kind of bank accounts for uh, the last 30 years because she thought she was no longer a US citizen, uh, now is having to do that. Um, and she's somebody who's renounced, um, who has said that uh, this was this was something that that I thought I, I was no longer uh, liable for. So those are two of the cases that um, that I would I would mention. Um, but again, it's I, what's really come out of my research is it's not the question of taxation, but it's the question of um, being targeted in a way um, that people just simply feel feel is 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 unfair. Uh, and there's, of course, much more to it than that, but uh, I'll leave it at that for now. I'll, I'll agree with that. Um, I think, what is it, the, the FBAR filing? It's the financial criminal network. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wait a minute. Um, so, and of course, we had, we had um, the, the, you know, the case of, of uh, famous case of the mayor of uh, of London, Boris Johnson, um, who, much to his dismay, found out that he was an American uh, when he sold the house here. Exactly, that's um, right. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, it's a big, thick, hairy topic, um, but uh, it's very interesting. And where can people find that research if they wanted to take a look at it? I've written a brief piece uh, for the Migration Policy Institute called Disillusioned Diaspora. Um, and then there's also um, a, uh, perhaps, uh, we can put a link uh, on the on the website as well to a, a brief overview of the research on my university's website on the University of Kent. Perfect. Uh, okay, now we're going to have some fun. Um, I I'd like to talk for a moment about that great American holiday that's coming up at the end of this month, <laughs> Thanksgiving, or 
as Art Buchwald called it in his legendary column that first appeared in the Paris Herald Tribune in 1952 and is still running, Le Jour de Merci Donnant, roughly translated the day of cheerful giver. First, Amanda, how do you and your family celebrate this holiday? And why do you think it holds such a prominent place in the hearts and minds of overseas Americans. Isn't that a wonderful column? I love that. <laughs> I read that every year, and, and I do love that every year. Um, it's it's uh, Thanksgiving. Um, of the 19 years I've been overseas, there was one year I did not celebrate it. It was the first year I was in Berlin, uh, and I missed it horribly. Uh, and so after that, I, I said, never again will I, will I miss Thanksgiving. Uh, the year after that, uh, my American roommate and I um, roasted a turkey, which we had to have butchered so it would fit into the into the oven. Um, and we had 22 other graduate students over, uh, each of them bringing their favorite dish from home. We put our desks together. Everybody brought a chair and their own plate and, and knife and fork because we were grad students. We didn't we didn't have more than a couple plates ourselves. Um, a couple years after that, my roommate got married. And, uh, and she emailed me the day after Thanksgiving, and she said, you know, I thought the first Thanksgiving with my, with my husband was going to be something special. She said, you know, nothing quite measures up to that Thanksgiving we had in Berlin. Um, and that's something that it, we really did have a special Thanksgiving. Um, that one we did on the Thursday. Uh, these days we celebrate on, on Saturday after Thanksgiving. Um, it's, a, it's a day off. Um, we can't, can't uh, celebrate during, during the work week. Um, and so we always do on the on the Saturday after Thanksgiving, so two days after Thanksgiving. Um, and uh, I grow my own pumpkins. I roast wow. my own pumpkins. That's I make impressive. My own pumpkin <laughs> That's the first I've heard. Um, in the absence of Cairo syrup, I've learned how to make sugar syrup for pecan pie. Um, it's it is something that I think is very special, and I think it's something that uh, one of the things that I, I really realized as I was doing this research was. Um, the United States is what's called a civic nation. Uh, we have ideals that hold us together um, and not one ethnicity um, or even one language. Uh, we come from all over. Um, my, my name is of uh, my Polish grandfather and my German husband, um, and, and that really is, is what the United States is about, um, whether we're at home or, or whether we're, we're abroad. And I think uh, Thanksgiving is something that really does bring us all together, um, and that's something that uh, we like to celebrate um, and that emphasizes really this this idea of the civic nation, what holds the United States together, even um, as Americans overseas, and, and in some ways almost almost more so. Um, this is one of those things where um, an American really can uh, come together with his or her compatriots uh, in a way that that retains identity and retains those ties, even after having been gone for 20 years. Um, when I looked at the, so the, the data I'm drawing on uh, for the book was a, a survey of about 900 people uh, from 2011, 2012. Um, and when I looked at the, at the data, um, the majority of people celebrate Thanksgiving. And then just out of curiosity, I crossed the data by looking at people who'd been out of the United States for more than 20 years. They celebrate Thanksgiving at the same rate. And so people are still celebrating Thanksgiving at, at very high percentages, one way or another. Sometimes it's a big celebration, sometimes it's just a special dinner, sometimes it's, it's, it's more, sometimes it's less, but three quarters of people are celebrating it one way or another, even after they've been gone out of the United States for over 20 years. That's a special holiday. That's really interesting. Um, we, we brought it with us and we've kept it. Um, 
So, um, gosh, we have learned a lot about ourselves, overseas Americans, migrants, expats, um, and I found it fascinating when I was reading your books, um, Migrants or Expatriates, Americans in Europe, um, which, by the way, I found on Amazon, so <laughs> our listeners can too, that it was so interesting and so much fun um, to, to read data that had been about us that had been properly researched. And that comment you made when you said, you know, I thought my situation was totally unique and then I found out that it totally wasn't. Um, the book is, is just a wonderful exploration and a, uh, you know, in a, in a well-researched, proper, uh, serious, but, but not boring uh, way at, at how we overseas Americans, you know, live our lives. So I, I recommend it highly to anyone listening to this podcast. Well, thank you so much. You're very <laughs> welcome. And um, I'd like to thank you for being on Tanager Talks. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank you.